the horse was fascinating to me because it changed it changed the entire balance of power on the plains you know from from the comanche to the ute to the shoshone you know they, they were it until the black people got How are you, my good friend? I am perfect and getting better. Have no As always. Here. Yeah. I love it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living the dream. It's a beautiful 50 degrees. There's no snow outside for the time being. It might come next week. Who knows? It might come the week after that, but it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been windy here so it was rainy it was it's been rain off and on but the wind has been just going the whole time so we were supposed to get wind today anyway so not too surprising uh, ah. and if those of you not familiar with the north pacific northwest north oregon coast where mark is at it's always windy there so when he's like we're supposed to get wind that means they're getting big wind <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's true it is always windy and then it's always wet too it's always raining which yeah. you know we're supposed to get one maybe two dry days this week yay you oh well, i know right but you know i'm going i i'm blessed i get to go out i get to go take uh take a trip with my uncle the chairman of the little shell tribe we're going to go on a hunting adventure, you know, get out into nature this upcoming weekend. So I'm excited for that. You know, I'm excited that the creator will give me a deer. Maybe, maybe not, you know, will yeah. depend on how good I was. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, we'll yeah. go out there. We're going to be looking, we're going to be looking for some meat, you know, and give it to the people who uh, need meat, you know, and want some food. I think that's what I want to do. So I'm super excited for that. I get to go to pretty much what I like to call the middle of nowhere, Montana, win it, Montana. Um, you know, you're the only person for miles and miles around. You're in God's country. You're up in the mountains. You're out in the sticks. You're in these hills, the prairie, the grassland. I love it. Hey, um, I want to, I just want to jump into something really quick. I want to know what is it? I want to know if you've heard about this. Somebody well, shot the all white moose up in canada some hunters shot and killed the like albino moose i i get it i get why but i'm against that as a hunter personally i'm because... i don't think it's good meat because he's been around a while well that and the albino ones I think they have like they're missing enzymes they're missing like genes they're missing certain things that make them so different and unique um there's a lot of native stories um you know you have like the white albino redwood tree you know and it was a it was well a that's what the article i was reading you know the first nation people up in canada they are very upset about yeah, I, this they call it the spirit moose so yeah it's the white buffalo right the great yeah. white buffalo the legend the lore the the white bear the um same thing the tribes up in washington whenever there's a white bear 
you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a spiritual being, it's a, it's a creator being. And it really makes me think, you know, you go back to those, those stories, those teachings um, of the past that are like, you know, brother bear, um, you know, you have the trickster coyote, you have the trickster raven, you have the eagles, the eagle speakers, the ones that walk among us, um, and these beautiful things. And then you add the layer of like the white ones, the holy one, you know, it's the Jesus fucking Christ, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's, and then, and then you're going to get some pulled out motherfucker like this, go with a gun, go, go shoot it. Like, no, come on, man. Respect the wildlife, respect the animal. I get it was probably some gnarly trophy one because all the other hunters passed it up, you know, so it could grow so big and grow so beautiful. Um, albino creatures are beautiful to see. There's one out in the neighborhood by my parents' house here in Montana um there was an albino deer that lived out that way it was i've seen it a few times in my life it's the coolest thing to come across and see and everyone in billings would say like don't shoot it don't hunt it because we want to show everyone we want to show the generations that have yet to live that can come see this you know we can, we want to show the little kids that don't know what it is when they're adults you know let that yeah. thing be around so i'm against the albino one but from a hunting perspective, I can see his side. I don't. But we don't, we aren't that dependent on the meat and animal as a, a to, for survival anymore. So that need and want for that animal, you're turning it into a trophy. And if you are troph purely trophy hunting, where's the sport in that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not for this guy sh shooting and killing this uh this moose because i'm not in for hunting the sport you know if you're using it for food i am 100 with you there that's totally fine it's the trophy aspect and then there's just sometimes you need to pass on things you know i i don't care if it was the last day of the hunt and you're just looking to get some meat no that's one i don't understand i don't understand the motive for shooting that specific animal shoot it with your camera and not the gun yeah. uh, with with the with the white moose for me personally oh man that yeah yeah i i did not hear about that and you ruined my fucking day so i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad um we recorded the interview before this because it would have been a shitty interview without it um we have a great guest uh yes. a good friend of mine uh, one of the OGs of Pompey's Pillar, you know, the Ranger, Sunny Hope. Uh, we'll have her later on. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, no, it, it's great interview um, talking about Pompey's Pillar. So, I mean, shoot, we can, it's a nice, it's a doozy of one. So I think it's fair. We can just jump right into it, you know, for the people out there, Ranger, Sunny Hope. Okay, we're here today uh, with the wonderful and amazing Sunny Hope. She is a park ranger out at Pompey's Pillar all the way in Montana. 
So I'm just going to start right into it. Uh, Sonny, if you just want to give us kind of a brief introduction to yourself and what exactly you do out at uh, Pompey's Pillar in that kind of gist. So my work at Pompey's Pillar is pretty much a jack of all trades. Um, I'm Technically, I'm a park ranger. Uh, we don't have the specialization out here, say, that you would with National Park Service park rangers. So I do fee collection, I do maintenance, I do interpretation, and also a little fun little thing they call other duties as assigned. So basically I get to deal with whatever comes my way. But that also gets to, means that I get to interact with the public in, in almost every way imaginable, whether I'm actually doing an interpretive program or I'm out doing maintenance, um, I'm here for the public. And that's, that's my primary job is to connect the public to the site especially since a lot of them have no idea what Pompey's Pillar is. Well, uh, that's part of the fun. What I like um, with the BLM, and you, you hit on it right away, is the BLM, people don't really understand the differences that park rangers have working for like the BLM versus like national parks where, you know, if I was a national parks ranger, I'm either just an interpretive guy, I'm a fee collector, and that's it. That's the only thing I do all right. day long. And that's one thing I, I didn't know about when I first worked for BLM. So it was kind of interesting to get into that. Um, definitely keeps you on your toes, I feel like. <laughs> it does. But it also keeps you moving. It keeps you doing new things and learning new things. And I think that's the key to it. That's why, you know, 90% of the people I work with or 95%, um, they like it that way. You know, you're not stuck doing the same thing for eight or 10 hours. So, yeah. and it Keeps you on your toes. <laughs> I can only imagine how many. I, you know, I, 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 I'm guilty. I fell asleep once or twice out in that <laughs> station. And that was only a couple hours working out there. <laughs> you know, I can only imagine eight, nine hours in some of those like those far off distance parks that no one visits. <laughs> Uh, but you have to with with the park service too. They get so much more visitation. I think even in the far far off parks that you really have to to work hard to get to, they have their their network is bigger, let's say, and they have mm, that makes sense. at the moment than we do. So people know about these places. Like I, I went on a ferry for an hour and a half to get to the Dry Tortugas National Park. So, you know, they're out there and people know about them. And we're right here along the interstate and people don't quite know about us yet. So it, that's what makes Pompey's Pillar so special, I feel. Yeah. Like. A hidden gem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is. Uh, because it is kind of a hidden gem, I'm sure we're going to have some people who don't really know what Pompey's Pillar is. So if you could, for our listeners, just describe because of what it is exactly. And so if they want to go, they can go and see this beautiful place. So this is the fun part. Um, there's really no good adjective to describe Pompey's Pillar as, as the rock formation itself. Um, I basically call it a giant rock on the wrong side of the Yellowstone River. So <laughs> the significance of the, of the site touches on the geology, the geography, its placement in the Yellowstone Valley. It and touches on human history from prehistory on the plains all the way up through the Homesteader era here. And the natural history, so the wildlife especially. Um, being on the Yellowstone River, we're right smack dab, we're too environments come together so that would be the river and the plains so excellent place for birding if you happen to be a birder or just um just the environment itself being by the river i think is is one of my favorite things 
one of, one of those human needs, I think, is to be by water. Yeah, no, for sure. I've been at least, I want to say, I know I've been at least once. I don't know I if I've been, once. yeah. And I, I remember it being right there by the river. And it's, you know, it's a cool river. I mean, the Yellowstone, you know, it goes, it's so vast. I mean, I've we were on the Yellowstone in Gardner, Montana, you know, and then to be all the way kind of Eastern Montana and still see that same river, it's kind of cool. And it's a nice, neat little spot there for Pompey's Pillar. Yeah, for sure. And the Yellowstone, I, I call it the tail of two rivers. You know, you've got, you've got the mountain river up by Gardner and then you have the Plains River down where we are. And you get a little further east where the Bighorn River comes into the Yellowstone, then it changes again a little bit. So it's, you know, it's not the same river from start to finish, which is, which is cool. And a lot of people don't realize that either. But what would be kind of the difference between the mountain river of the Yellowstone to the Plains River of the Yellowstone? So you see, you see the, the riverbed change um, and the water temperature change. And of course you have the fish change and the, everything, everything that comes along with it. So right about Laurel, Montana is where the Yellowstone, I think, changes from the mountain river to the Plains River. Is you have, a, you have the Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone come in and that kind of alters the, the environment of the river as it rolls in. So when fishermen come here, they like, well, what do you got? You've got trout here. No, we don't have trout or Pompey's Pillar. You have to go upstream a little bit. But we've got you know, catfish and smallmouth bass and walleye and sauger and this whole other, whole other slog of, of fish. So it's, the, you know, part and parcel Pompey's Pillar is tied to the water. Which cool. is and one thing I find interesting about the Yellowstone River is you can argue that the Mississippi River is technically the Yellowstone River because of the way it flows into the, both the Missouri and then the way the Missouri flows into the Mississippi right. downstream. But because it, they didn't know about these rivers before when they're doing the naming. And the, the fact that you could technically say that the, the Mississippi is a tributary of the Missouri River. Oh, exactly, yeah. It's longer. And people are like, no. So that's the, that's, that won't go over real well, I don't think. But I think it's kind of cool. No, I do too. Yeah, personally, personally, as being a Montanan, right? You got to take ownership of that. Absolutely. <laughs> right? I actually had no idea that they were that connected between the Missouri and the Mississippi and the Yellowstone. To be fair, I don't know really, I never really pictured like the end of the Yellowstone River before, you know, because I'm out on the Oregon coast where the end of the river is the ocean so right yeah your your waters flow a different direction yeah once you get to the continental divide the waters go to the columbia river and eventually to the pacific whereas our waters go eventually to the missouri and the mississippi and the gulf of mexico yeah it's yeah that's really cool um one to be on that other side of it as well um, yeah. Kind of going back to your uh, park ranger kind of career, how long have you been, uh, you know, working one at Pompey's Pillar and then two kind of in the, for the BLM there? So I started at Pompey's Pillar in 2004, which means I just finished my 17th season. Ooh. Oh, wow. Congrats. Mind boggler. <laughs> uh, running on two decades, which is, which is scary, but it's scary because time goes so fast and just thinking it's gone. 
And this is the only site that I've worked not only for the Bureau of Land Management, but but for the federal government altogether. And so I, you know, I grew up 50 miles east of here and it's highly unusual for park ranger to get a job so close to home and stay so close to home. But it's treated me very well and it's worked out very well. And as long as I still have something to offer the site and I'm still learning and, and contributing, I'm going to stick around. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that is. 17 years, that's a long time. I'm sure <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really fun when you tell tell little kids that are like six or seven years old how long I've been working here. I'm like, oh, that's twice as long as I've been alive, you know? So like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm not the semi-nomadic park ranger because you know, a lot of people, they even once they get the permanent positions, they they just move from place to place, you know, because there's so much to see and learn. And I can definitely empathize with that too. It's just there's so many cool places out there. Are there any parks that you would also want to work at or are you fine just visiting them? You know, I haven't I haven't traveled enough to know yet. Okay. I, I did think, yeah, I would go for a park at Dry Tortugas. But then you're stuck out, you know, in the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico there and you're you ferry in or you fly in and, and you're there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that would be a pretty cool experience, but it would take a certain kind of person to. Yeah. 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 Okay with being by yourself and being well, you're not you're not there by yourself, but you you're pretty isolated. I remember uh oh I'm gonna I forget Bob when when I worked out at Pompey's Pillar, Bob and Alexander was telling me I had a conversation with that he applied for a job up in Alaska at one of the parks up there and it was like only four people live there and it's the people in the parks and that's it yeah like, it's nuts and I I don't know if I could do that personally <laughs> yeah so some of us need a little bit more human contact I think right <laughs> and some people don't so yeah and out there that was um dry tortugas when you were down there I've never oh I loved it I loved it I mean that was the whole reason why I went to Key West to start with you know and say you know, Key West is a big party town and I'm not a big party person, but I'm like, that's the jumping off point to get to Dry Tortugas. And so I just thought it was fantastic. Wow. Like, make sure you're not, you don't get seasick. Yeah. <laughs> but, and they tell you, right, when you get on the ferry, it's like, if you're going to barf, don't barf over the side because then you have to clean it off the boat. So <laughs> So they give you a whole long lesson on how to vomit on the on the ferry, which was great. I didn't need to, but <laughs> it was like a whole a whole new experience for me because I'm totally landlocked. Yeah, all my life, you know. So that's funny. I, yeah, it's the weird park rules that you come across. Each park has their own little unique rules like that. Um, yeah. That, what so, what were like the pillars? You know, you can't walk walk off the edge. You can't climb up. You can't sign your name. Those seem pretty basic. I don't do, do. Is there any at the pillar that are like that? They're just kind of oddball, unique. <laughs> um, don't drive on the sidewalk. <laughs> like the last four years, we've had two different people driving on our big sidewalk. Oh, the the river one. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and so it really freaked the other rangers out. A year ago, it happened again, and I said, "Oh no, not again!" And they were like, "Again." <laughs> like yeah yeah this is the second time I've seen this oh man also also thinking about at least we don't have to tell people not 
to fry a chicken in in the hot springs. So <laughs> yeah, that's National Park, I think they take the cake. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Or put a bison in the back of your, your car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just when you think you've heard it all. Right? <laughs> boil a chicken? Like, wow. Well, you know, I mean, I heard that and it, I did get curious, like what it would be like to try and boil a chicken in those hot pots though. I think that's the problem is we were all like, whoa, I wonder what that was like. Yeah. <laughs> so now they have to actually say it. It's like, don't do this. Yeah. And don't, if you're a listener out there thinking about it, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> we do not encourage that. That is bad park behavior. Yeah. A hundred percent. So when they're driving on these sidewalks like at Pompey's Pillar, is there like a good place like you could take your car to if you were to? Or like, I'm trying to figure out why someone would want to drive on the sidewalk. Well, the last person said it's like, because we have a little turnaround spot right by the visitor center so that folks can drop their passengers off. They don't have to walk all the way from the parking lot. So the, the gallon gift show gift store just said, well, you can pull up by the visitor center and pick them up. Well, they took that literally and drove up right, they were almost to the visitor center when we caught them. And, and we're like, whoa, okay, it's like, you got to go, you got to get off of the sidewalk and go back on the turnaround there. Oh my gosh. I, I can picture this too, because what I don't get is the road is, isn't, it's, it's in visible distance away to yeah. drive up there and the path's over here, you know? It's yeah. Like, I don't it's know. actually, <laughs> the first one was even better because the, the old entrance gate was open. And so they drove in the old entrance gate and they're up, you know, it's grass. They drove over the grass and then they drove around the flagpole at the base of the pillar and drove by the cabin. I happen to be in the office that I am now. I look out there and then I see, I see this brown car going towards the visitor center. I'm like, what? I actually did. I did swear out loud, which you're not supposed to do as a park ranger. I'm oh. like, what is that? Right? Oh my <laughs> just, gosh. And it's like, they really didn't see the problem. I'm like, oh. So yeah, you see, it's, it's interesting. That's funny. You know, well, it goes I back to when you're, when you're traveling, you're you're in such an unfamiliar place sometimes you don't you're not, you're not you, it's kind of kind of pulls you out of your comfort zone and you're not sure what to do sometimes you're like whoops so yeah. I do things like that when I travel too like you know you, you do things that are like whoops I shouldn't have done that but yeah yeah yeah, I always play the dumb tourist card. And if I like really, really want to do it, I'll try and speak another language as best as I can. So that's like, <laughs> oh no, they just really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's that's okay. That's the whole part of, of traveling, you know, is to learn. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's one thing. I mean, yeah, I like I like that nice you we wandered away. Now we're coming back a little bit to to you learn. And I that's yeah. one thing I think Pompey's pillar the knowledge that that rock alone can give us, you know, the Native American history, the history of the river, the weather, the the bison history alone in that little valley right. that's right there. I mean, and then Lewis and Clark and, you know, Manifest Destiny and the train and even 2020 and the way things are growing, you know, there'll be <laughs> some sort of history, right? Yeah, 2020 <laughs> definitely left a mark on Pompous Pillar. There you go, right? 
So at least this way, it's just, you know, just another chapter, you know, in yeah. his, that, that the site's basically record of all these, these different stories. Well, and personally, what I, what I really liked about that, because, um, you know, I'm Native American, I'm Little Shell, and I was able to t talk really heavily to the, to the natures or the Native American side of it. Um, whereas like Ranger Alexander, when he was out there, he was talking to people more about the trains because that was his passion and he could talk right. to that history. Um, I, I want to say, I think yours was geology, right? It still is. It still is? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I did, a, I did a little program on dirt, which was awesome. Yeah. Always wanted to do it because it's, it, you know, Pompey's Pillar, it all boils down to dirt. It's a sedimentary rock. And that, that rock cycle with, with, with sedimentary rock is, is alive and present at Pompey's Pillar, which is why we're, we're having issues with the stabilization now. It's, it's, it's the natural processes at work. So it's kind of that goes back to the learning thing. We're watching it happen, which is, you know, from a human point of view is not good because it's eroding, but it's basically continuing that cycle. It's going down the river to be part of another rock. So, you know, millions of years down the road. So that's, that was kind of my takeaway for the season is, you know, we're watching it happen before our eyes here. So, so yeah, I'm a, kind of curious on the like stabilization part of the rock, like, what exactly um, are they trying to do to stabilize the pillar there? So what we're learning is we don't have enough data to, to know what we need to do yet. So they're basically, they're monitoring the changes in the rock and to see how the rock is moving and how, how the cracks are growing. And that's gonna, that's gonna determine a lot of, the, of how we can experience Pompey's pillar in the future. So that's, we're kind of, Kind of I'm waiting on that right now. So a question I have then is given this and given the fact that it is it's a historical landmark, it's the only living visible physical evidence of the Lewis and Clark journey that we can still see of their trail today. Um, with William Clark's signature, is there discussions or have there been discussions about if, if something like that were to occur, do they cut it out and put it on display somewhere or is that still like we'll let future generations decide? Uh, you know, I I've heard somebody from the BLM. Of course, she wasn't associated with Pompey's Pillar. She said, "Well, why don't you just cut it out of the rock if it's in danger?" And I think that would be like the last case scenario, because you know it's it's like fossils. Once you take it out of the earth, it's basically lost. The value is examining the environment that we found it in, and I think it's Clark's signature in. in almost every way is that you take it off the rock then you know it's no longer in William Clark's footsteps oh so, I, yeah I get what you're saying there it you know it depends I'm kind of a on the side of let nature take its course but you also want people to be able to continue to, to experience it and so that's yeah. it's going to be interesting to say the least to see what how how things come about yeah no I'm I, yeah, for me, I, that's, I, yeah, I wouldn't know what to do because like you said, it, it could take millions of years for that moment yeah. to occur, right? It could be beyond us and something. Yeah, like, for sure. But I, it's learning about the fact that, you know, that's it. That's the only proof we really know they went on that journey. 
get at, you know, in 2020 that we can see that's like, no, that it actually happened. Look, here's, here's where he signed his name. Cause you learn about things like the brand they had, um, the fort they built, you know, in Mark's neck of the woods up there in Astoria, um, and all these other cool places that are gone or burned down and, you know, or even, under, underwater, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But so Pompey's Pillar is so interesting because really our, with American history that, that William Clark is our hook. He is our claim to fame. Um, but it's, it's also tricky because there, there's two other sites in the state of Montana that also have on-site physical evidence of the core of discovery where they left it. And those are actually two campsites. So one, it would be canoe camp where William Clark made his dugout canoes on the Yellowstone. And the other's Traveler's Rest, just south of Missoula, where they crossed the mountains coming and going. So, you know, for years, we did say we we're the only on-site physical evidence of the core of discovery. And now it's kind of backed, backed off a little bit to maybe the best visible, like you were saying. Yeah. Of it. Well, that I makes mean, sense, yeah. Yeah, and then the, about... other, the other tricky part then is we, for so long, we've been focused on William Clark, basically to the exclusion of everything else. Now we're learning we can't be a one-hit wonder and still survive as, as a historic and cultural site. So now we're, we're reaching out and we're trying to tell more stories. And I'm, the longer I work here, the more I think of all these little, these, each person that stopped here, they each had a story. And all these stories come together at Pompey's Pillar. So what we needed to be doing is, is telling more of these stories because that's what's really cool about the site is all these different people coming together here. Do you have like a favorite newly discovered story that you may have about like Pompey's Pillar? Well, you know, actually one of our, one of our uh, Montana Conservation Corps interns this year, uh, she, she did some pretty good research and, and there's a panel of rocker on the south side of the pillar that basically all you can see, you can see some red pigment looks like a stripe of paint on it. And she dug into it and she thinks that that particular part is what they call the LaRoque panel. And um, LaRoque was a, a French fur, tra fur trapper who was actually here in 1805. So it was at Pompey's Pillar, we think, a year before William Clark even, even got here. So in his, his story, we, this is the first year we've even told that story. Oh, Dang, that's so really cool. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, his, his mission, he was from Quebec, and his mission was to come down and to trade with the, what they call the mountain Indians, which would have been the Crow people. And so he traveled with the Crow for a year and then, and then kept a journal like William Clark did and talked about seeing this giant whitish perpendicular cliff, you know, across the Yellowstone River. And so I'm pretty sure that that was Pompey's Pillar. Well, and I, what I like about that is, you know, sometimes, you know, us Americans, we get so caught up in our own egos in that sense, right? Where because Clark's the first American, that's where history yeah. begins, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. And like, oh, you know, we can't, you know, we've got the rock art telling us a different story that this has been a special spot for thousands of years. And then I would say as long as there's been human beings on the Northern Plains, it's been a special spot. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, just uh, one of the stories that I, I really, that I've, I, it's always caught my attention. 
uh, is the one about the guy who was hung over the edge on his saddle when he saw uh, his uh, name uh, on the rock. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. like, there's no proof and you can't tell, but where it's at, you're like, well, yeah, that's how you would get down how, there. How, how else would he have done it? Right? Yeah. And so that was a fun thing this year about, you know, having the walkway closed and not being able to go up the rock is that we start making sure people go around the rock. As they go around the rock, you put little kind of little teasers saying, look up here and you'll see this. Look up here, you'll see this. And so then you kind of try to point people towards Baker's signature and you could see them going around there and stopping by the choke cherry bush and looking up and looking around and finally they find it. Mm. That that was a huge benefit is, is getting to introduce people to the, some of these other stories. Well, lore or not, you know. I love it. I mean, to me, that like that's that's what makes Pompey's Pillar so special is everything, and even the stuff as a ranger that you get access to, that the general public does not, and seeing seeing some of the drawings and art and documentations that you know because someone documented it and we have it in a book, you know, we get a look at it, but the general public doesn't. I mean, yeah, it was really cool to learn and hear those stories as well, and I think that's what makes those places awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll never know all the stories, and that's, that's great. Oh, exactly, yeah. If, if we ever stop learning or wanting to learn, then we're basically done, but there's always something to learn, and I think that's why I've stayed at Pompey's Pillar so long, is there's, there's still so much I need to learn and want to learn. Well, and what I don't, what, what I don't think a lot of people understand either is if you were to go across the river even, into the into the rims as they call them you know the, the the sandstone rock on the other side of the river there's drawings there's signatures there's all that but because yeah. it's private land it's not accessible it. and nor does the private landowner necessarily want to share that and all those places in just the world that are because of private land you can't see and access that you may give us the answers to some of our questions and that's that's hard too because in some ways it's the private landowners not telling people that where it is that's that's a measure of protection in and of itself oh exactly that, that even you know land management agencies will will utilize for for some very special places so it's it's interesting because i do want to see that stuff but like well if it's it's better for me not to know where it is if it keeps it you know in existence and where it is that's you know that's okay because there's there's places i can go to see yeah so did you ever go to castle butte no that was one that i was told about i always wanted to go but no one ever wanted to go with me so i just never did it <laughs> yeah it's a that's a really cool spot too it's it's just you know it's higher up than pompey's pillar and it's a much bigger formation and there's there's rock art all over it and yeah. you know it's and it's not it's not just limited to the crow it's the northern cheyenne it's the blackfeet it's you know all the people that traveled through here and pompey's pillar was probably the same way too well and kind of a beacon you say it's the rock on the wrong side of the river meaning the other side of the river is a nice little valley you could if you're a herd of bison or people it's easy you know you're not climbing a cliff you're going right right across the river there you're forging right. yeah on the other side and i think um what people also don't understand is those trails have existed for thousands of years. Commerce, trade, governments were going on and the way these tribes interacted with each other and using places such as the pillar and it, when you go there and you're standing on top of the rock and you could see the movement of the valley. Yeah. 
you can just look back thousands of years, you know, I'm riding, you know, I'm, I'm walking, I'm pulling my teepee travoy, you know, we're coming through here and here's right. the crow, there's the Blackfeet, you know, they're meeting at places like this. Well, they better be minding their manners too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like to think so. I like to think it's, it's the American manifest destiny that made the natives the warring culture that they were because of the way they were pushed west but that's I, I my personal the, belief yeah I, th I think the introduction of the horse had a lot to do with it because yeah you've got you've got people that are super mobile you know yeah. they you always have competition for the same resources and now those, mm. those like a venn diagram they're coming into contact quite a bit more often well and what i find interesting you bring up a good point and uh, with the horses and the Shoshone people, and they were the first kind of big Western Columbia Plateau tribe to have the massive horse herds. That right, they yeah. And they take claim to the Fort Laramie Treaty that gives tribes like the Umatilla, the Colville, the Nez Perce, um, and the Salish uh, hunting rights to go hunt bison in Yellowstone Park in present mm -hmm. day. And they use that and I look at that and I look at the way trade and history happened. And it's like, you know, they were saying, we'll give you horses. If you let us come hunt the bison, we'll come over the mountains. You let us yeah. hunt the bison. We'll give you horses. Yeah. But I that's guess, just, yeah. <laughs> there's such an interesting dynamic, you know, as far as what they call the Colombian exchange between Europe and, and North America. And the horse was fascinating to me because it changed it changed the entire balance of power on the plains you know from from the comanche to the ute to the shoshone you know oh, they, exactly. they were it until the black got the horse and the gun yeah so it's, it's just fascinating fascinating history and you know it it comes together here too well and that's what i like is you you get that confluence kind of yeah crossroads at, at the pill yeah the at the yeah. pillar and you, you can see it and you even see it today even I mean you can make the argument with I-94 and I-90 not being too far away where they right. emerge and, and the differences with the way we trade in those two interstate systems and this and that and like I mean I look at like I-90 I-25 and it, it's a sadder side to our history you know but it, it's going to be we're going to talk about the drugs and the way they were used on the reservations to be smuggled up into even Canada and across the U.S. and distributed but that's, you know, that's its own story for another day. But it, but it all comes back to we're all following the same old trade routes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what the pillar really taught me is it's, even though you're, you're in this piece of sandstone, it, it feels like the middle of nowhere, but really, no, it's a, it's a crossing roads. And there's a lot more to that crossing roads that, you know, we, you get at first glance. Yeah. And I think that's, that's our hope for the future is to, is to be able to connect with these this, these other stories and people want to hear the other stories too once they find out okay oh there, there's rock art on Pompey's pillar oh there were other people than other than Will and Clark here well tell us about that I'm like perfect yes well how many times have you had you know get visitors that have you know they've gone up they've seen the signature and then and then they come back down into the visitor center and say Oh, did you see the the Native American drawings or these this signature or that no? And they run right back up the rock. Yeah, they see it. yeah. Which I, I think, yeah. Really cool thing this year was you know we kind of developed our trail around around the rock, 
And people would stop and tell us, we've been coming here for years. We've been here five times, six times, whatever. And I never saw this particular marker. I didn't know this was here. So that was that was encouraging. That was kind of the, the shining moment of the season, I think, is to connect people with more Pompey's Pillar than they had seen before. Well, I think part of that, too, is you get good rangers like yourself out there that want to show people that and tell the new stories and find those other stories. Because, I, I, you know, the reality of jobs and the way people are sometimes is they use Pompey's Pillar as a, as a jumping off point or I'm, I'm going to be here for a season. They don't really get into right. it as much. But when you have people who are invested and spend the time there, I think that's that's awesome. And each park has those type of people. And I think it's finding them and having those conversations with them and really understanding like there's a bigger reason to why this is the way it is today. Right. And and I, and there's people yeah. that care about that. Yeah. And you know, the really cool thing that I'm learning is you really don't even have to be here as long as I have. It's it's the it's the amount of passion that you bring to the job. With says people who are here for a season, you know, have have left their own marks. And it's because they were passionate and they wanted to learn and they wanted to share that with other people. And wow. that's, that's the secret. Well, it's kept you there 17 years, so. Yeah. Well, it's kind of turned me into a BSer, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, I'll go out, I'll be off on my, you know, I'll be just walking or I'll be out taking pictures or something and people will talk and I'll just, you know, I'll just quit what I'm doing and just, we'll just carry on a conversation and take, you know, wander around and take a look and, you know, so it, that that's something that I never thought was possible when I, when I started because, you know, and I didn't realize it, but there are a lot of park rangers that are like me that are by nature, they're introverted. Yeah you know, this is, this is their chosen career. And, you know, we, we excel at it. It's just not something you think about. It's like, oh, you got to be an extrovert to be a park ranger. Well, no, you don't. No. I think some of the best park rangers are introverts because they're the ones that look at the details and they're yeah. their information. They're giving us the, the knowledge, the fun facts, the, yeah. the, the science behind it. Yeah. And observing, you know, <laughs> yeah. or listening as the case may be sometimes, so. Exactly, no, I think that's really something that, you know, yeah, you're right, I, a lot of people think, you know, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta talk, you're giving these presentations or do, doing this and doing that, but at the same time too, you gotta, you gotta do the other side of that. You have to do the research, you have to yeah. know, know everything. You have to know your resource. Yeah, exactly. And Yeah, and you'll never know everything, I'll never know any everything, even about Pompey's Pillar, but, but you have to have a fundamental understanding of why, you know, what's the meaning of the place? Why is it significant? Not, and, and that's pretty cool too, because it's going to be special to different people for different reasons. And so as an interpretive park ranger, your job is to find that, find that reason and connect them with it. And then, yeah. hey, you know, remembering Pompey's pillars. Hello, my wanderers. Before we get going with this episode of the podcast, I do just want to remind you guys to check out our other social medias, the YouTube, the Instagram, the Teespring to get that swag. Make sure to check us out individually. Zach Gray of Quartz Lake, Zach Gray, the Rougarou. Make sure you check out myself, Reverend Marcus, all that fun stuff. The links are below in the bio. 
Um, all you got to do is click that bio, look for it, boom, you're on your way. Make sure if you guys want to be part of the podcast or questions to be heard on the podcast, email us at wanderingwayspodcast at gmail.com or quartzlakeproductions at gmail.com. We love the feedback. We love the input. All of it is amazing. And we love you guys for listening. It's awesome. So let's keep wandering on. Yeah, that that's like the dream right there, isn't it? Yeah. Just get, get paid to visit all these wonderful places. That's what Zach Efron's doing. I saw on Netflix, he went to Iceland. It's a, actually a really, uh, really good show. Like, like, I feel like I'd be best friends with him after watching yeah. <laughs> like a really cool guy to get just to just to know yeah 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 definitely if you're if you're on netflix and look for something to watch that it's a good like he goes to iceland and looks at like the thermo thermo geo geology energy and the he does like the food and everything oh, cool like, health and wellness kind of yeah it's good yeah uh you know we'll just keep things going here um going back uh, I kind of want to go into, you said like geology was like your kind of background in a say, did you go to school for geology or like your formal education in geology? Not, not per se that it was actually my, my interest, even in, in college. Um, my first degree was in anthropology. It really actually should have been geology. If, no. if I were to be honest or paleontology, because I, I'm one of those people that never outgrew their fascination with dinosaurs. So I still have it. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are too cool to ever. They are. And that's another thing we're always still learning about. You think you have everything figured out and then they discover something new and you're like, holy smokes. Yeah. I actually was just uh, listening to a different (laughs) podcast and they found... um, like a human, not a homo sapien, but like another human kind of full skeleton that's over like seven or eight million years old. Ooh. Yeah. I'm it's, it's way be, back. Yeah. It's supposed to be wow. like the, uh, the oldest, like human-like. It's Ar- Arpicatus or I don't know. The skeleton's name is Artie because they'll name the uh, skeletons. But it's like our... I'm going to blank on the scientific name for it. Is it, it was, Australopithecine by any chance? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it, that might be one, it. There's though, too, in yeah. there. But uh, it's called, the, they named the skeleton Artie, but he was found in like, um, in where it is in Africa. I think Ethiopia is where. Ah. And it was, I mean, but it's just cool because, you know, the guy that was uh, talking about it, you know, he was going off about the different, kind of how the body was built and you know it was an upright like per or like creature and you know, but it had like really eagle. long arms so he was still they were still you know i can't remember what the term from brachiopedalism i think is where like the great apes uh well knuckle walk yeah they they actually talked they, about it a little bit yeah. and uh he said that it, this skeleton they think did not knuckle walk but mm. the the arms were long enough to where they would think like maybe it would knuckle walk okay maybe he's a missing link yeah could very well be <laughs> well I, I was looking at at you guys's podcast and i saw that you'd been looking into the rougarou yeah well 
down down in Cajun, Louisiana. But have you done a lot of digging on that yet? So fun, funny story with the Ruguru. Um, the li- so it's it's a French word. And the little shell language is a mixture of Métis, which is French, or a little bit of French, uh, Chippewa and Ojibwe. Uh-huh. And the word that the little shell would use for Bigfoot or the hairy creatures is Rougarou, but R-U-G-A-R-U. Different but it comes color. from that that shapeshifter. Yeah, that's well, that makes sense though because there's common common cultural cultural tie there too. But oh, that's I just learned about the Rougarou, so I was I was kind of excited. <laughs> well, I named my Jeep the Rougarou. <laughs> is it green? <laughs> No, it's uh, it's it's white and black, but I, oh, I have cool. on it. That you'll, <laughs> if you're ever in Billings and you see it, it's, I look like I'm looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> That's what the Jeep looks like. So, yeah. But, what are you going to do when you guys find him? Oh, that's when we're going to really make it big <laughs> is when we find him. You know, I actually, um, I have a Bigfoot story. I like turned him in, you know, because I, I have, I swear I've seen him. You know, and I turned it into Bigfoot Hunters. It wasn't like Bigfoot Hunters. It was like Bigfoot Hunting Organization. But, you know, they had me pull, they pulled a map out of like where I was. They asked me the path that he took and everything. And so, I mean, so I swear I found him. I don't have any proof. I was, this was, I think I was like 13. So like oh, cool. the whole uh smartphone generation where you can record everything like that that wasn't really a thing then so yeah but it changes everything my luck though is i would find him and then i would drop my phone out of excitement and step on it yeah right (laughs) there goes my proof (laughs) yeah that would too and then you know there's that fun really kind of fun theory about bigfoot it's called flat Bigfoot theory because, you know, the only pictures and video is like a side view of him. Uh-huh. So when he looks right at you, because he just is really flat, so you can't see him. So that's how he hides really well. Oh. He just looks at you. Like flat Stanley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just one of those like silly one uh, theories they got going for the flat Bigfoot theory. <laughs> <laughs> but take him around to all the national parks and take pictures of him there. Right. Yeah. Find him. Yeah. Um, you know, we can just jump kind of back into Pompey's Pillar. You know, listening to you talk today about it, the really cool part is it kind of seems like when you go to, uh, you get like an Airbnb or rent a cabin and they got a guest book where they want you to mm-hmm. sign and like uh, sometimes they'll tell let you tell a story and it whatnot. It kind of seems like Pompeii's Pillar is like the North American guest book for that area. Yeah, definitely. And and that was, you know, that's human nature too, is to want to leave your mark. And and sometimes people would, you know, leave their leave their mark just as as fun. And sometimes, you know, it might be the last last anybody ever knows of somebody. And you see see things like Pompeii's Pillar along the trail, other trails. So down in Wyoming, they've got they've got at least two. They've got um, Independence Rock and they've got um, Register Rock or Newspaper Rock outside of Fort Laramie. So it's just you know as all these people are coming by, and it, it's not just with with the Americans. It's the same with the rock art. 
you know, they're, they're leaving their stories as they go by. And it's just kind of a, you know, a historical timeline written in stone in that way is people's leaving their little anecdotal stories. Well, and I like that because, because not only does it tell you that, but at certain parts of on the rocks, you can see like, this is where water was here, or this was when wind was here by the way the rock is, you know, and to me, and then you add, you add that context with the, the physical that, that the humans left and you can start telling those stories and really say yeah. water people or they were wind people and oh, yeah. this was going on. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing about, about the rock, about the sediment is even that each little piece of, of sand or silt that tells you a story about the ancient environment. Oh, when you see sandstone that when the ancient massive ancient river just probably beyond our ability to comprehend was flowing eastwards to the to the inland sea it was had a fast current and so the only thing that it would drop was the heavier sand when its current would slow down it would drop finer particles and so when you look at Pompey's pillar and you see the layers like a birthday cake you're actually watching the ancient environment change over and over throughout it's the the river's existence so that's that's when that's my new favorite thing. Yeah. You don't think about dirt being able to be a clue to the ancient environment, but it yeah. is. Well, and we we were blessed enough to do a big road trip a couple of years ago. We went down to Canyonlands National Park in Moab, uh, Utah, and there was a ranger. And he gave a he was talking about because you could really see the canyon of the Green River and the Colorado River where where mm-hmm. they create that island in the sky. And he was saying each layer, this is what we know. This is what yeah. we can see. And it's just like, you know, yeah, it goes millions and thousands of years back. But when you can actually see and look at that with your own two eyes, you really start to question and, and see how things progress and and time changes. And you're like, well, that makes sense. It took them that long, you know, to grow feet. It took them that long or to do this. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know? that, that makes you consider how short human time really is. It, it does, but it also helps me personally understand we can only comprehend, as, as humans, we can only comprehend so much. Yeah. I, so to be able to comprehend that, you know, we don't have that ability or power yet. I'm not sure if we ever will. Exactly. <laughs> Which is okay, too, you know. Yeah. It's like, you never know at all. We better stop thinking that we do. Right. <laughs> humbling, I guess. That's that's the way I think about it. It's very humbling. It yeah, it, it really is humbling to one, like see that. And then, you know, you realize, you know, we think, you know, the, so the average lifespan is, I think, like 70 or 80 years. Like, we think that's so long, but it really is just a little blip in yeah. the true lifespan, which, and when you see it, you know, it, it does humble you, which is awesome. Yeah, it's good for us. Yeah, for sure. Well, in that sense, it's a it's a gr- if you're looking at like the pillar, right? It's it's a layer of if like a grain of sand. That's how tall it is. Like that's yeah. you know, that's us in comparison to yeah. this. <laughs> to the rest of the world, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. universe. Well, and if what I saw, I saw some really cool night pictures of Earth and the way the lights lit up, you know you know, like South America, Europe, mm-hmm. North America. And I was looking at it and I was like, you know, we're no different 
than the bacteria that lives in the hot pools of Yellowstone. You know, pretty much. The ones that have bioluminescence. Yes. You don't know how they're doing that. You know, what's like this big space organism that can see us? Yeah. Like, oh, look, they have bioluminescence now. They finally <laughs> evolved. Right? Oh, gosh, it took them forever. Exactly, with the lights. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm afraid we might have had a setback this year, but they're probably a little disappointed. But <laughs> right. Upward and upward. We're having fun. 2020. I think one thing I, I that 2020 has really made me hum, you know, humbly appreciate is the fact that I've been able to sit down and kind of re really assess like the things I truly want to do and see because it, yeah. it's put a strain on that. You know, it's like it sure did. Yeah. And yeah, things like, you took advantage took it for granted like 10 months ago and yeah. then no longer do. You're like, whoa. Right. And, and I'm starting to see more people are starting to cherish time with their families. Yeah. You know, work isn't as stressful on as many people, you know, it's more simple. It's slowing down. And I think we kind of needed that restart. Yeah. So it's good. To, the good medicine is coming through all of this. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you hope, you hope something good comes of it. That's, you know, that's <laughs> best case scenario. So if, if people, you know, people learn to cherish their time with their friends and family. That that's a huge lesson to learn. Yeah, I, it's been my. I mean, that's really something to me. You know, I think that's what, one reason why we even started this podcast was. You know, we truly, you know, on our car trips, on our road trips, going to all these beautiful parks. It's like we tell stories to people all the time, and we have these experiences, and we want to share them and share a little bit more, and have people like you on that can tell us about Palm Face Pillar and tell the world about it because. You know, if no one else is going to do it, you know, let's us do it. Let's let's yeah. share the stories and have a place for them. You know, absolutely. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's that kind of time we're getting towards the end. So, at the end of all of our podcasts, we do kind of a final words or final thing. Um, and so since you are our guest, we're going to let you go first. This can be like literally anything you want. If you got anything you want to promote, you want to tell any kind of public health message, public announcement, literally anything you would like to tell the world, uh, go ahead and let them know. That's kind of a surprise. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> you know, I think the first thing that popped up while you were while you were talking is that I would just say, don't give up, you know, because this is it's a scary time and stressful time and don't give up there's there's better times on the on the other end of it and then then you can get out and explore and maybe come see Pompey's pillar. Yeah, I love it. Come <laughs> me. I'm a I'm a permanent exhibit out here. <laughs> yeah, like that. that's a good one. Put that on the badge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, Zach, you got any final words today? Uh, my final word is go find your Pompey's pillar. You know, go find that park in your neck of the woods that isn't. You know, it's not the Yellowstone. It's not the glacier, but it's just as beautiful and has just as much information to, to teach you. Um, and go learn from it. You know, I think that's something that we all need to do. We need to find the places close to home that, you know, we can learn from. Um, whether it's New York and you're going to find the tree that everyone's written on in Central Park or it's Pompey's Pillar and you want to see William Clark's signature, I think go do it. No, that's awesome. Uh, Reverend's final words of wisdom today for me, 
Uh, you know, everyone stay beautiful. You're awesome. I can't thank you enough for listening. I want to say a special thank you to you, Sonny. This was an awesome interview, and I thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome to talk to, about, talk to you about being a park ranger, Pompey's Pillar, you know, all the fun stuff we talked about today. Um, you know, I guess my main thing is, you know, go find that hidden gem. Uh, you never know what's out there. You're going to find something that's cool and keep learning. You know, there's so much to learn out there that we have so much that we need to learn so we can keep this going. But I mean, that being said, peace out. Everybody.